Let's talk about words, baby. Let's talk about language. Let's talk about how the cool graph and the backwards came to be. Let's talk about words. I am woman, hear me roar. Hallelujah, it's raining men. Welcome to episode seven of Language Matters. You guessed it, this week we're talking about gender. But before we get into it, should we start with some listener feedback? Yes, so Amardeep this week gives us some feedback. The topics are interesting, thought-provoking, and there are some examples that are relatable and makes me realise that I'm not the only one that thinks this. The overall theme of language is so powerful, she says. And then we have Hannah, who really wanted to mention, says, wow, I died listening to that magnificent matcha mochi poetic tale. Thanks, Hannah. I nearly died reciting it. So the pronouns I prefer are her, she or they. How about you, Maddie? I also prefer the pronouns her, she, or they. Uh, but speaking of pronouns, what what are they in relation to language? And when we talk about gender-neutral language and gender-neutral pronouns, what's that all about? I think of gender-neutral language as language that doesn't have any particular power attached to it. So when I think about telling stories using gender-neutral language, it's so that the listener isn't swayed by whether or not the person the story is about is male or female. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's language that doesn't bias towards a certain gender. Agreed. Can you give an example? So salesperson versus saleswoman or... uh, policeman or police officer Mm -hmm. or humankind instead of mankind exactly Mm -hmm. I understand and why is it so important do you think that we utilize gender neutral language in everyday life so I think you know we can't assume that people um, prefer a particular gender and you know, given that gender is understood on a spectrum and that it's not binary, it's not one or the other, um, it allows for encapsulating all the different genders people might embody. Yeah, it does. And I also think that gender-neutral language is important in, I guess, negating some of the ways that our language can Um, contribute to gender stereotypes so when we use the term policeman regularly instead of police officer it's creating this um, societal assumption that uh, police officers are more likely to be men so it kind of I think pulls apart those boxes a little bit do you do you try and use gender neutral language Yes, and recently someone raised uh, that I use gender-neutral language 
regularly in conversation and it wasn't something that I recall doing consciously um, but when referring to stories about people that might be in my life I often will use the term they even though the person I'm describing might not um, have told me that they prefer they as opposed to he or she. Mm, you're a natural. For me, yep. it's a little bit more hard work. I think I need to be a bit more conscious about it. I'm more uh, socially constructed than you, maybe. <laughs> Less social workery, shall we say. <laughs> Less social workery for sure. So speaking of gender, gendered language um, and the way it can contribute to stereotypes, we do want to explore uh how language does shape and contribute to ingrained uh, social expectations of different genders and um, reinforce gender stereotypes across different stages of the life course and in different contexts. And we want to look at some of the implications of this. Yes, and gender um, for me is quite a passion project um given I was raised in uh, quite a um patriarchal culture as uh, you know I don't think I would call it matriarchal um so yeah there were always those differentiations between um the language or activities for girls or boys but um so I'm yeah super interested in in hearing more about your perspective and and from your background mm-hmm. uh, were there certain um, expectations of you given your gender growing up within your culture so I was raised by um, a father that was quite you know I don't like to use the term radical because it should just be the norm but um, a dad that uh, gave away sweets when I was born and you know there was one person that um, questioned him on it saying you know you um, and your partner gave birth to a, a female and not a male so I'm trying to get my head around why you're giving out sweets and so for him he was just celebrating that um, a, a child was in his life regardless of what gender they were. Mm-hmm. So you come from a family of um, shifters and movers <laughs> by the sound yeah. of it. Interesting. Uh, For me, I guess I was a bit of a tomboy growing up. There wasn't much pressure um, from a family side of things or even really from my peer group throughout primary school to conform in particular ways. Um, But I guess throughout high school I started to pick up on certain expectations of how I should be behaving and um, what I should be aiming for in life and still battling those um, norms or expected norms today as we all are. Mm. But thinking about children, there's lots of different variations in how we speak to boys and girls and there's been a lot of research done on this. Um, I haven't deep dived too much into it but just having a little look through it's really evident that this actually starts 
in infancy or even when children are in the womb. So we understand, for example, um, when comparing babies who are born prematurely, uh, that there's differences in the language that's used by parents, by family members, by health staff uh, in relation to their growth. Um, so little boys who might be called little fighters um, and girls often referred to as precious. So we have this like powerful survivor, like you're a little fighter, you're going to get through this and you're going to grow despite being born uh, prematurely. And then we have this precious, we need to be protective of um, language that's used in relation to little girls. I find that, um, yeah, some (laughs) interesting research I hadn't thought about like that. Um, what comes to mind is when we refer to um, babies in the womb, um, when we know it's a girl, they might be considered princess and then when we know that it's a boy, um, and I admit I'm, you know, making sweeping statements, but not everybody does this. Um, For boys, people might think, oh, my little man. Mm. Um, It's quite quite um, large differences between the two descriptions. Yes, and in addition to some of the labels that we put on uh, babies from a young age dependent on their gender, there's also research um, that talks about the way we talk to children, um, boys versus girls, as they're a little bit older but still as children. So the evidence suggests that um, parents, when speaking to young girls about four years old, I think this study was done on children around four, um, parents use language that's much more analytical and identifies um, emotions when speaking to girls. Whereas, so it might be trying to unpack or understand um, with a female child, why they're reacting in a certain way or, um, you know, I can see that you're feeling sad. I understand that that is because of this reason. With young boys, we know that the language is more focused around achievements and um, so language such as being proud of them for not crying or using words such as win um and you know you're a winner you're a little winner you're a tough tough one uh so another study which uh looked into how parents speak to boys and girls who have visited the emergency room after accidents usually broken bones or things like that identified that parents of young girls were more likely to talk to them about being more careful in future and um, engage and warning them, I guess, from engaging in reckless behaviour that might contribute to 
such injuries as, again and that kind of conversation wasn't had as often with boys. So obviously Did- these these are generalised. They this is a research base, but not all parents um, have this differentiation, but I think it just shows how ingrained it is. You've taken um, a friend or two to the hospital for um, a broken arm or other things. Did you tell your friends that were female to be careful um, while dancing uh, on the the floor? <laughs> I don't know if I told them to be careful. I probably just um, told them to drink a little less maybe. So I guess, yeah, similar kind of Similar kind of thing. Um, But what do you think the implications of this different way we talk to boys and girls are? Do you think it matters? Yes, I definitely think it matters. I think it, you know, (laughs) goes to how the the child conceptualises their identity, what they are able to achieve, what qualities are brought out in them, um, the emotional range that they're able to tap into or express in a healthy and safe way, Um, you know, and particularly for boys, the implications that this might have on their mental health Mm -hmm. or feeling comfortable to, you know, speak about that particular topic. Um, Yeah, and then on the flip side of that for girls, I guess when we're teaching, when we're valuing ambition um, with girls and teach, uh, with boys, sorry, and teaching them to be winners and proud and and fight through and be tough, um, I guess what does that mean for how we privilege female and male leadership in our society and more generally? and what kind of values we're instilling in girls around being ambitious, um, which is not considered, I guess, an inherently feminine or traditionally feminine trait. And I think... No, it's not encouraged. No. And just generally, I think this language kind of puts young children in boxes and defines how they should and will engage with the world and also how they'll be perceived by the world around them yeah it would um you know it's fascinating how different um the choices the child might make if they weren't gendered in a particular way yeah that's very true um and when we think about the example of the emergency rooms I guess the flip side of telling girls to be careful is saying Things like, oh, boys will be boys. It's, you know, inevitable that a boy will engage in behaviour that's likely to be, you know, self-harming accidentally and cause broken bones and things like that. Um, But when we consider certain behaviours to be innate, uh, dependent on gender, then we create this society in which... um, say women are held, women um, we expect to be hold, held accountable to actions of men. So men can't control their actions. If they're violent, you know, 
then that's just boys being boys and that transfers from little boys to just running amok through to adulthood and patterns such as sexual assault. Um, Yeah, so I think such labelling can be actually quite harmful. Agreed. And I saw this meme just before um, our recording today. It was um, perhaps we should change boys will be boys to predators will be predators. Yeah, I think so because we also need to expect and we can expect better of men and boys and, you know, the most of the men in my life um, don't engage in that kind of behaviour and they've not been, you know, that's because those who've brought them up and surrounded them in this world have been quite conscious of not instilling those values or considering certain traits such as maybe violence or, you know, some kind of dominating behaviours as inherent to their gender. So that's in childhood, um, but we also know that there's a lot of research around how different language um, is used comparing men and women throughout adulthood and particularly in um, the space of work or within uh, men and women's professional lives. Yeah, and when we think about leaders and, and I guess people in leadership roles, the different terms that are used to describe women as bossy or bitchy or um, arrogant, you know, for men, synonyms of similar behaviour could be, oh, they're really confident, um, you know, capable um, and, you know, words uh, that are quite, uh, gosh, respected within professional settings. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting you say that because I was actually reading um, about this yesterday and I came across a Harvard Business Review which studied how we negatively and positively describe men and women's leadership styles. So the most common negative attribute that was used to describe male leaders was arrogant and um, for women the most common negative uh, descriptor was inept. So the study also found that there was no difference in the number of positive attributes assigned to men and women. Um, So, you know, say powerful was a positive attribute or productive. So the same number of those kind of attributes assigned to both men and women, but women were assigned with more negative attributes. So, yeah, it is quite interesting and how also certain attributes, like you said, Um, can be positive for men and less positive for women. So we know that, uh, for example, ambition is more, I guess, socially acceptable for 
men than it is for women. So it's good for males to be ambitious, but um, for women to be ambitious can be a little bit controversial. As you know, women need to also be having children. Apparently. Yeah. Uh, um, so given you're in a leadership role, what role does, do you think language has on um, how you develop your leadership style or um, carry out your leadership duties? Does it make a difference or do you even think about it given you work with all women? I do think about it. I don't think about it maybe a lot because I do I do work with all women. Um, but sometimes, you know, I'll send an email and I'll go, oh, was that a bit harsh? And then I'll think, hold on, if I was a male, would I be sending as many sorries in that email and that kind of thing? Interesting question. Thanks. Um, but why do you think there's a difference in how we describe male leaders and female leaders? So I think off the top of my head is that, you know, females in leadership is in the professional settings is a very new concept in that, you know, um, quotas for historically have been quite low and, Yes, we're trying to ensure that more females are in leadership positions. Um, however, I think what I'm trying to get at is that given it's a new space for females, females are being compared to their male counterparts rather than, you know, just for for people carrying out leadership duties. Mm-hmm. But but perhaps that's a, a simplified explanation or, or or that I might be way off mark what about you no I think you're right but I also think um when we I guess are judging as a society women's um leadership capacities or women's capacity in any sense um we're judging we might be judging them on their ability a little bit but we're also judging them on um so many other things we're judging them on how they look while they do it we're judging them on their voice we're judging them on um whether they're married or have children um and i think we just need to look to you know previous um female prime minister julie gillard to see that I guess the level of judgment that Australia as a nation placed on her extended well beyond her leadership capacities and she was expected to be, you know, dress in a certain way and speak in a certain way and and be conforming to a certain life. You know, no one liked the fact that she was unmarried and dating a hairdresser. So, yeah, we're we're judging them on a different, judging men and women on a different playing field, I think is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I definitely can, yeah, catch what you're saying. And, yeah, given the example of Julia Gillard, I think that paints it quite well. 
So we love some buzzwords on our episodes. Uh, what are some favourite gender-related buzzwords? Feminism is up there. Feminism is up there. It's a bit of a controversial one. Yes, what is it does feminism? get a bad rap. So feminism is essentially the advocacy of women's rights on the ground of the equality of the sexes. So basically that both genders are equal. So given that, why does it get such a bad rap? So it gets a bad rap because people think of the protests in, gosh, is it the 70s? This is uh, using my history knowledge. Um <laughs> about burning bras and women wanting to be better than men, have more access to resources and et cetera, et cetera, whereas really it's just about ensuring that women have the same access to resources that men do. Yeah, and it, this word used to be a pretty dirty word in society. I remember when I first... Um, I don't know how old I was when I was like, oh, yeah, I reckon I'm a feminist. I remember getting a few weird sideways looks. Um, but do you think that our relationship with this word has changed at all or have I just changed my circles? Look, you you know, I'd want to hope you've changed circles given that we all grow and evolve, but uh, the relationship society has with the term feminism has definitely evolved. It's become less taboo to bring it up. Mm. Yeah, I think it has and I think it's still um, not loved in certain spaces and amongst certain commentators and certain people in society, men and women. Uh, But I wonder if some more recent movements like hashtag me too and hashtag times up, uh, which kind of put women's issues to the forefront and put faces to those issues of sexual harassment and sexual assault, which were, I I guess some of those faces were people who might be quite um, different or to the normal kind of image we have of a, um, angry, hairy-armed feminists. These were actors and celebrities that kind of conformed to natural, not natural, to um, social expectations of what women should look like. But it also I think these movements kind of demonstrated how pervasive sexism is in our society because all of a sudden people's mums and sisters and cousins were going, oh, yeah, me too. Definitely, that's happened to me. Um, But, yeah. I think something that I was reading during that time was also, you know, as you just said, that it could be your sister, it could be your mum, it could be a girlfriend, when at the end of the day it could just be a female, which is another person. You don't have to have a familial or romantic relationship to that person for it to be something you turn your mind to. It happens. It happens, yeah, and it's it's shitty behaviour. Um, but, I, yeah, I wonder if that's made the word less, I guess, 
polarising or if it is equally polarising and I've just stopped reading as much right-wing news and associating with people who have, I guess, alternate views to myself. Perhaps, or it could be the introduction of, you know, days like White Ribbon Day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Um, another buzz li- buzzword we've got on our list for today or buzz term is toxic masculinity. And oh. this one I do hear a lot. Uh, what are your thoughts around this term? Well, firstly, actually, what does it mean? So according to the old Google, it's when confirm it, sorry, confirmation to traditional traits of masculinity is damaging for men and women. So right. could you give me some examples of behaviour because that definition seems a little bit vague when you think sure. of to- to- toxic masculine behaviour, what comes to mind? Sure. So I guess some of um, the traditional traits of masculinity would be um, you know, strength and power. Um, so it's when uh, they're just some examples, but I guess when those traits are, I guess, conformed to in a way that becomes damaging. So, um, you know, it might be men utilising power in a way that um, causes violence or being dominating in a way that it could be, you know, constantly speaking over your female colleagues or talking down to them um, because a male might feel like they are better than or more deserving of, you know, having their voice heard. What What's your relationship with this term? Are you into it? Are you not into it? Um, look, I don't like toxic masculine behaviour um, and I'm pretty quick to pull someone up if they're acting in this way. Um, uh, you know, it doesn't – the word isn't a nice word to consider that sometimes the males – that are in your life um, might act in toxic masculine ways. But what about you? What are your feels regarding this word? Um, my feels regarding this term are a bit all over the place, to be honest. I work for a women's organisation, for a domestic violence service, so I feel like, you know, every day I'm hearing stories of, women who are harmed uh, by patriarchal systems and I guess certain behaviours which could be described as toxic masculinity. But I don't love the term because I feel like it's just used to describe every type of shitty behaviour that a male engages in. And I think what we're lacking in the discourse is... Um, a comparative kind of performer for positive masculinity. I think, you know, if most of the things you read about toxic masculinity um, suggest that p- 
people should instead embody more feminine traits really like there's very few examples or um there's very few there's very little language to describe positive masculine behavior so i don't really like this um i guess binary that it creates around we've got the good men who um are less masculine and then we've got the shit men who engage in toxic masculine behavior and i think uh, we've also, what it also fails to recognise is that similarly to intersectional, intersexual feminism, you know, masculinity has a lot of intersections and not all um, men identify with masculinity in the same way. So, yeah, I just think it's an oversimplified, I guess, way of describing these huge social issues such as violence against women that are stemmed in um, patriarchal social structures and male privilege, which I think might be better language sometimes to use than toxic masculinity. Also I think it sounds like some illness, like someone just walked into a cloud of like toxic gas and all of a sudden they started behaving in these really shit ways. But I don't know. Um while you were talking about toxic masculinity and how it irks you at times, um what was coming to mind was a question and, uh, you know, I might be putting you on the spot here, but, um, you know, are we on- only able to describe this behaviour with regards to men or are there times that we could describe this particular behaviour of women or, um, uh, gosh, like um, women that identify with more masculine traits or women that identify as butch? Uh, Yeah, look, I've heard it used um, to describe maybe power differentiations in same-sex relationships Um, and I think that might be one way of understanding it, interpreting someone's behaviour and understanding where certain behaviours come from. But I do think sometimes we just need to call out shitty behaviour for shitty behaviour and why does it need to be gendered. I think it's important. I really don't want to downplay the importance of understanding um, how gender and and our perceptions around gender um, and social structures has influenced um, women's lives. But I don't know. I think sometimes we can just say it's really crap for you to behave that way and you don't need to exert your power over me without necessarily calling it toxic masculinity. I don't know. That, that's, yeah, helpful to think about it like that because I think then there's some room for alternative narratives and behaviours to 
possibly either be created or identified, whereas it sounds like with toxic masculine behaviour, it almost puts you in a box and in the naughty corner and, and doesn't allow for perhaps alternative narratives. Yes, I agree. And um, what's the last term um, with regards to buzzwords and have you used it before? Um, well, this is actually a term which I guess could be a form of um, toxic masculinity and the word is mansplaining. So mansplaining is when uh, a male explains something to you, usually to a woman, and it's done in a manner that could be considered condescending or patronising. So I like this word because it's put a label on something that I've experienced before. Um, I don't experience this a whole lot because I tend to kind of avoid and be able to avoid uh, a lot of interactions with men who engage in this kind of behaviour. But I did experience this last week. I was making a police report um, in relation to domestic violence uh, through work and I explained that I was a domestic violence worker and um, the police officer proceeded to talk over me um, whilst I was explaining what had happened and what the woman was wanting and um, I got a mansplaining about domestic violence legislation which was actually factually incorrect. So that was very annoying. Um, but I was, go I was sitting there on the phone and then all of a sudden I was like, oh, He's mansplaining this to me. So it was quite interesting. Um, <laughs> what about you? Um, I can't say I've experienced a lot of mansplaining in my world. Um, That's good. Yeah, I kind of veto those particular people. Um, so, yeah, can't, can't speak to that too much, but I think it's definitely um, a term that I accept in everyday vernacular and yeah if something needs to be explained as being mansplained then I'm all for it yeah much more for it than toxic masculinity I'd say mm -hmm. what's the first headline for the week so the Atlantic brings us I analyzed a year of my reporting for gender bias again ah and what's this one about? So this one is about how male dominance in global media is well documented and it's about when women do show up in the news, it's often as eye candy. Right. Um, so this journal wanted to um, look into, yeah, gender bias a little bit further with regards to media um, and um, the ways in which people report and what particular genders are more prominent in the media and, and why, you know, that, that might be the case. So um, perhaps less about 
language specifically, but, you know, uh, about representation with regards to gender in the media. Yeah, it's interesting what you say about um, women being in the media for eye candy. I remember um, a couple of years ago a prominent morning news presenter, Carl Stefanovic, mm-hmm. wore the same suit uh, every day for a year to mm. see if anyone commented on it and no one commented on it, which was quite a nice experiment by Carl there. Um, what's our second headline? So Alan Jones breached broadcasting codes with violent Arden metaphors. Gosh, good old Alan Jones. He retired last week, which is a relief for all women. Um, So this article says Alan Jones breached broadcasting codes for decency in his use of violent metaphors about New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern. Uh, The offensive statements included, I just wonder whether Scott Morrison's going to be fully briefed to shove a sock down her throat. And now I hope Scott Morrison gets tough here with a few backhanders and I hope he goes for the throat this morning wow that's deeply inappropriate yeah to say that on public broadcasting like what does that say about this man and his level of male privilege and entitlement that he thinks that he can say that I wonder if these comments got back to Jacinta, Jacinda, and I hope they didn't. Um, what it says is that he either feels superior to the rest of society or particularly females um, or that he has zero knowledge or reflective, you know, practice about his position and how he can utilise the fact that he's a a radio broadcaster. Yeah, and I think it just says that he's a massive dickhead. Like, (laughs) honestly, what a twat. I like that you just, yeah, can can cut through. (laughs) That's exactly what he is. I just wasn't sure if we could use those terms on our podcast. But (laughs) there we go. We can use what we want. Sorry. Oh, so good riddance, Alan Jones. I will not miss reading about you what's our final headline of the week so our final headline is fresh call for oxford dictionaries to change sexist definitions what was your first um thought uh once you read this after you explain a little bit about what the article is um is about sure so i was quite um curious about these sexist definitions and the article is literally about what it says it's about um so the leaders of a group called women's aid and the women's equality party um, were signatories to an open letter calling on the oxford unity university press to change its dictionaries so multiple volumes of dictionaries i guess sexist definitions of the word woman. 
So the letter points out that some Oxford Dictionary's definitions of the word include synonyms such as bitch and maid. Uh, and says that derogatory and sexist examples of usage include God, woman, will you just listen? Meanwhile, the definitions from man include a person with the qualities associated with males, such as bravery, spirit or toughness. Ugh. So there's that toughness again. Uh, wow. Hello, 2020. It's nice to see you. And... Here we are still being called bitches and maids. How far we have to come still. Yeah. Yeah. So I was a little bit surprised, to be honest, that this this kind of language is still in the dictionary. Uh, but I did deep dive a bit further and found series more complaints for Oxford Dictionary in 2016 um, for the pronouns or the gendered pronouns they'd used to describe certain words. So amongst that they had words like shrill and the example was um, my wife's voice is very shrill. Um, they were had examples of the word nagged, um, gendered towards women. And speaking of our word feminism, one of the examples in the Oxford one of the Oxford dictionaries pre-2016 to describe the word rabid was feminist so rabid feminist <laughs> so you know if we want to know what rabid means don't worry about a diseased dog it's just you and me Tej <laughs> so yeah quite concerning yeah very concerning and um, so, you know, since you brought that to my attention, I've since stopped using the Oxford Dictionary. Um, <laughs> since yesterday? Yes, yes, since yesterday. Dictionary.com all the way, but I will be attuned now for sexist examples. It's Word of the Week time. Your favourite time. Do you want to go first? You know I do. Look, I can't quite compete with last week but I have have stuck with the gendered theme I was feeling a little bit stuck this afternoon I hadn't come up with a good word so I did what we all do in our time of need and I turned to Google and I said Google tell me some words named after men and interestingly a lot came up uh, but this one is a word to describe a light knitted jacket, often throw on with a pair of jeans, could be associated with uh, elderly women traditionally. <laughs> Do you know what word I'm referring to? I think I might have an idea. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The word is indeed cardigan. So cardigan was named after James Brudenell. 7th Earl of Cardigan. Do you know who he was? No. No, he, he doesn't ring a bell. Deary me. So James Brudenell was a British Army Major General who led the charge of the Light Brigade at the Battle of Balaclava during the Crimean War. Don't know what, that, what war that was. 
I've never heard of that war. Didn't it even exist? But anyway. No, but so the word cardigan is modelled after the knitted wool waistcoat that British officers supposed or his British officers supposedly wore during that war. So the legend of the event and the fame that Lord Cardigan achieved after the war led to the rise of the garment's popularity. And apparently Brudinelle invented the cardigan after noting that the tails of his coat had accidentally been burnt off in a fireplace. We've all been there, Brudinelle. We've all been there. For me, it was my <laughs> hair, though. <laughs> um, so, fun fact, what's your word of the week? For me, it was my eyebrows when I was working at a pizza shop. <laughs> the word... Uh, is brought to you by my niece, Kieran. She introduced me to the word snollygoster. Snollygoster? Yes. Mm. It, I, you know, questioned it and wasn't sure if it was a real word, but <laughs> apparently it is, and it refers to a politician who does or says things for their own personal advancement instead of following their principles. Wow, there's a few of those around. Um, <laughs> I won't mention his name, the certain person we talk about every week on the pod, but I think that a certain American president could at times be referred to as a snollygoster. Uh, do you think I'm right there? Well, yes and no. Like, yes, they say things for their own personal advancement, but, you know, perhaps they're also following their own principles. So, you know, what does that mean if... Because according to the definition, it's that's true. They are uh, saying or doing things for their own personal advancement instead of following their own principles. So that's true. What would, questionable. I'll I'll get back to you on that one, Maddie. What would his principles be? Who knows? <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening. What an episode! We packed a season's worth in a little in one episode there. So thanks for sticking with us. Um, as always, send us your thoughts, tag us, share us on the old Insta, and don't forget to follow us, language.matters underscore. See you next time. See you.